1: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver's mayor is being criticized for his response to weekend street violence just months before October's civic election.
0: After a particularly violent attack injured multiple people on the Granville Strip, Kennedy Stewart issued a statement that has enraged some people, including one of his main political opponents. More on that later, but Grace Key starts us off with who the mayor is blaming fellow
2: who lived across the hall from me he went crazy last night, and he started stabbing me with a big machete.
3: One man is in custody after a weekend machete attack at a rooming house on Granville Street that sent four people to hospital. Now, Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart is pointing the finger at the province for an under-resourced mental health and justice system that he says is endangering the safety of the community.
4: Our two main asks are uh, complex care, which is a voluntary help for. Uh, those that are suffering with mental health and addictions, and the province has been delivering on that, which is great. But the next uh, main call by the by the big city mayors is is to deal with uh, repeat offenders. We need adjustments to the justice system that are going that are gonna keep people safe because. In the end, everybody deserves to feel safe.
3: The public safety minister says recommendations are coming in the fall on the issue of prolific offenders and random violent attacks. A report is being analyzed from the Special Committee on Reforming the Police Act and investments in mental health and addictions care continue. The attack happened around 10 p.m. Saturday, just above the Roxy nightclub. Cecil Cochran has some two dozen staples in his head after fighting off the attacker.
2: I was coming home I was just trying to lock my door. And he hit me in the back of the head. Bam! I went down on my knee. I got up, I turned around, I got the knife right away, and he hit me again with it. And we started fighting and rolled around the ground. And I, was, I don't know how we got in that position, but we got in a position where he was, on, he was on my back and he had the knife, and I was holding the knife away from my face like this. And the cops said, let go of the knife, so I let it, let it go. And he stood up and he went towards the police. And the police koo, koo, shot up twice.
3: The incident started with a fire call. When firefighters went to the suspect's door, they were met with the machete. These risks are being felt more and more, especially in the downtown east side.
4: There's definitely more tension. And I think our crews are being, um, are being a lot more diligent and being aware of their surroundings because of what's happening right now, for sure.
3: 48-year-old Ibrahim Abdella Bakht has been charged with one count of aggravated assault, assault with a weapon, and possession of a weapon for a dangerous purpose. He remains in custody for his next court appearance. Grace Key, Global News.
0: Okay, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, public safety has been a growing issue, especially Mm -hmm. in Vancouver over the past couple of years. Uh, We have a municipal election coming up, and and a lot of people are saying this is Mm going to be an issue. And some are calling out Mayor Stewart for the timing of his statement.
4: Yeah, the gloves are off now in the Vancouver mayoralty contest as a result of that incident and Mayor Stewart's response to it. Uh, his chief, one of his chief challengers, of course, is Ken Sim, who almost beat Kennedy Stewart, just lost by a whisker in 2018, taking him on again. He put out an angry statement accusing Kennedy Stewart of really not taking personal responsibility here. We caught up with him on camera. I think
0: it's pretty disappointing and disingenuous of the mayor uh, to come out swinging after three years and ten months being mayor, uh, to come out swinging on crime and safety in our city. Um, Instead of taking responsibility for these issues, he decided to throw the province and the federal government under the bus. And a lot of these issues, um, you know, as mayor, he should be dealing with.
4: So Ken Sim also, in his statement, accusing Kennedy Stewart of fostering what he calls a culture of hostility against the Vancouver Police Department. You can be sure, just as there's going to be more violent attacks, unfortunately, you can be sure this issue will likely dominate the debate on the Vancouver civic scene as we approach that October 15th election.
0: All right, Keith, thank you very much.
1: Well, new posters appearing on the downtown east side warn residents crews will start to remove tents tomorrow. City officials have been handing out notices to people along Hastings encouraging those who are sheltering in tents to voluntarily move. Or else, city crews will start dismantling the structures, beginning with the ones posing the highest fire and safety risks. The fire chief ordered the structures to be removed July 25th, saying they posed a catastrophic safety risk in the event of a fire.
0: Vancouver is struggling to deal with a myriad of social challenges and there's growing concern that businesses are suffering and tourists are being scared away.
1: As Global's Christian Robinson reports, negative reviews from travellers are just one part of what's being called a broken system.
5: Fresh off the bus, the city seems nice.
1: Vancouver, we like it.
5: But upon closer look, visitors to Gastown and Chinatown are surprised by what's not part of the tour.
6: The homeless are living on the streets, graffiti that they didn't have before. It sounds like things are taking a turn for the worse.
7: Typically in a big city, you expect some homelessness, but not to the
2: extent that I saw on that one street. Uh, I think the kids are a little scared, (laughs) to be honest, because they haven't seen it.
5: Recent reviews of both neighborhoods on TripAdvisor are scathing, quote, horrible and scary, nope, not today, stay away. Shocking, slums, sad, very depressed streets with tent villages on the sidewalks.
8: We're not used to see that in Europe.
5: One of the worst and most unsavory areas I have ever visited. And it's like a scene from The Walking Dead.
6: I have to agree with one of the the trip advisors. You you have The Walking Dead uh, roaming the streets.
5: The Vancouver Chinatown BIA says the negative reviews are a symptom of a broken system that's in desperate need of a fix.
6: Well, we've got a, a taxpayer-funded uh, downtown Eastside uh, that uh, has advocates perpetuating the status quo. What about rehabilitation? How about making these people better? All of the evidence confirms that, uh, that things are getting worse.
5: SFU professor Julian Summers says it's time for a new approach with recovery-oriented housing spread across the city to meet the needs of people with serious mental illness. Currently, he says, we're concentrating the most vulnerable in one area with a revolving door of services.
6: It maintains people in perpetual crisis. Where is the opportunity to leave it? And that's, that's where we currently are denying people opportunities in B.C.
5: That ongoing crisis on full display 24-7 for both tourists and locals. Kristen Robinson, Global News.
0: We are learning more tonight about a brazen drive-by shooting on Highway 1 Saturday afternoon. The suspect vehicle, a Mercedes SUV, was later found torched. And Global News has learned it was owned by a Coquitlam car dealership and had been rented out just before the deadly shooting. Krista Dow shows us what happened.
9: Abandoned and torched, hallmarks of a gang-related crime. What's left of this black Mercedes now evidence in a homicide investigation.
10: I didn't know that a car could light up like that.
9: Police say two people were shot in a brazen daylight shooting along Highway 1 in Burnaby on Saturday. The victim, 18-year-old May Samzaki. The driver had non-life-threatening injuries and the suspect vehicle, a black Mercedes SUV.
7: We're using uh, all of our forensic tools to process that vehicle and chase every lead we can within there.
9: Global News has confirmed it was this same vehicle rented that same Saturday through a car-sharing app called Turo.
10: I was rented from Saturday till Wednesday.
9: Owner Jonathan Gagnon says he received a message from the customer about the missing Mercedes GLC.
10: They got in touch with me and said that there was an incident with the vehicle where it wasn't in their possession. Didn't notify the police, which was kind of I thought was a little bizarre. And then we found out once I put all the pieces together that there was the car used. And now we're, we're literally picking up the pieces here of what our next steps are.
9: We spoke to the customer. He says he was the victim of a carjacking. And after getting lost in Burnaby claims, he was approached by three people who told him to leave the vehicle. Adding he's surprised to learn the rental was linked to the shooting. Police later arriving here to take a statement. The customer declined to go on camera.
10: In 20 years of, of working in the auto industry, this is definitely a, a first in this respect. Uh, I've had cars stolen, I've had cars torched, but never committed crimes of this capacity. This happened on Highway 1, there's innocent people driving and that's what's concerning to me.
9: Meantime, Gagnon has been in touch with police and Turo about insurance coverage. Police are unable to confirm the carjacking to us but are asking anyone with information to reach out. Krista Dow, Global News.
1: Well, the hot, dry weather is not letting up. but The wind has died down, and conditions are working in favor of crews battling the Caramias Creek wildfire. Emad Agahi is live near Caramias with the very latest. And Emad, at last count, that fire was almost 6,000 hectares. How's it looking today?
11: Well, it is still growing, Sophie, but I've been told, thankfully, that growth is moving in a direction opposite of the areas of concern. Now, weather conditions, Mother Nature, a big part of a firefight that's this large and this important, but those favourable conditions you mentioned, particularly the slower, softer wind, has helped the firefighters just rein in on some of this fire activity, particularly uh, over the weekend. But the firefight is not over yet. Uh, Far from it, actually. Uh, We'll show you a video now that really uh, helps understand and it captures some of these intense candling activity over the weekend, and it shows the uh, scary proximity to, of those flames to the road. This will give you an indication why the highway 3 A uh, between Carameas and Penticton remains closed, and why uh, there's been a reluctance to lift some of the evacuation orders uh, that are in place. Now, that wildfire, uh, the Carameas Creek Fire, you mentioned, sits at 6,000 hectares, or about 60 square kilometres, and the wildfire service has been really flexing some muscle, trying to fight it with at least 405 firefighters, 43 pieces of heavy equipment and 16 helicopters. Now, I just caught up with fire information Officer Mikel i say, who says conditions are stable, but could change as early as Wednesday.
2: We are uh, monitoring a system that's potentially arriving on Wednesday, so we're trying to get as much done on this fire um, leading into Wednesday uh, where we might see a slight change in the weather. What's the biggest threat? Is it thunder is it lightning? The with the system uh we're potentially in flow winds and there is um some rumors of of lightning potentially in the system um but whether that materializes is yet to be seen
11: so all eyes now on that system coming in uh on wednesday perhaps no one watching it closer than those that are on order the many more who have their bags packed uh ready to leave if need be on alert some of them uh, you will hear from a little bit later in the newscast sophie
1: very time for them all right thanks for that ahmad
0: our meteorologists are watching it very closely Two senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now. And Christy, what are you seeing when it comes to that threat of lightning later in the week?
12: Well, it definitely looks like it's a concern. What we have is an upper-level trough that's going to shift north into the region, and that will bring in the potential for lightning, but it also could bring in gusty winds along with it. Here's a look at the timeline. So this is tomorrow. Tomorrow we're not expecting lightning, but we could see more cloud cover and pockets of isolated rain across the region, again, bringing in a little bit more wind than what they've seen over the last little while, and that's problematic for the firefight. And then it's late Wednesday that we have that instability, real pockets of thunderstorms possible again though it's very isolated in nature so whether it moves into that exact region or not that has yet to be seen so we'll be tracking this very closely of course that's late Wednesday so stay tuned
0: all right will do thanks very much Christy
12: Well, as Ahmad mentioned, the stress for those forced from their
1: homes or on alert due to the Carameas Creek wildfire has been high. And while fire crews are having some success battling the flames, as Global's Taya Fast reports, there's still no timeline as to when evacuees will be able to return home.
13: It's been over a week since the Karameas Creek wildfire first sparked in BC's Southern Interior. It's hard. It's been stressful
5: because my husband's been away at work too, so a lot of this I've been doing on my own.
13: The fire has grown to 5,903 hectares, forcing thousands of people to flee their homes, including Alala resident Jordan Olsoff. That's why we're back here today, to see if they can get us into a room, and I'm hoping that they can get us into a room because we've got animals, we've got two dogs. Um, And if not, we're probably going to head out to Kamloops to family members. Her home is one of 547 properties on evacuation order and another 1,050 properties are on alert. Gosh, I don't even know what day it is today. It's been a week and a bit since we went on alert and since we left and it's just been really stressful. Although there is no timeline as to when people will be able to return home, BC Wildfire Service says fire suppression efforts have been successful so far.
2: The the goal of those ignitions is to is is to shorten the amount of time that people are out of their homes, though. So um, we it it will it does increase uh, the fire behavior for the day, um, but the, the end goal is to get people home as soon as possible.
13: Over 400 wildfire personnel and 16 helicopters continue to work to contain the fire.
2: The reason the numbers are fluctuating from day to day is we're moving structure protection um, units around from place to place. Um, some of them are getting downsized, and some of them are being uh, deployed in the areas that they're needed.
13: Meanwhile, as of Monday afternoon, BC Highway 3A remain closed, and only those with temporary access permits are allowed through, causing some frustration.
11: I can understand the frustration that people have when they want to get back to their home and property, and the only way people can go back to their home or property that is under evacuation order is if it's an emergency. And having people go back and forth is not a good situation because it's dangerous.
13: There is no timeline as to when the highway could reopen, but officials are asking the public to be patient. TFAS Global News.
0: A dream vacation turns into a nightmare for a BC traveler and his family. The man was enjoying a tour of Spain when he suddenly disappeared. the mysterious clues that are all his family has to go on next on the news hour. Fans everywhere remember the remarkable talent of Olivia Newton-John and the role that shot her to stardom after her death, later on the news hour.
1: And what a handcuffed suspect was able to do that has Toronto police answering some tough questions.
0: Right now, though, there is growing concern tonight for a Victoria man who mysteriously went missing while traveling in Europe.
1: Scott Graham disappeared almost three weeks ago after going to the Canadian embassy in Madrid to get a new passport. Sarah McDonald has the latest.
14: Where on earth is Georgia Graham's father? That's the question consuming the Montreal native for weeks. I don't think that any family should have to go through what my family is going through. Her father, Scott Graham, is from Victoria. The 67-year-old traveling to Europe in June to connect with old friends in the Netherlands. Then he carried on to Spain solo and somehow fell off the radar. He had a successful transplant in 2014. He has to take anti-rejection medication every day. He lost that vital medication during a bus ride to San Sebastián that kicked off a chain of troubling events. Graham's bus somehow leaving a rest stop without him, but with his passport and medication still on board. Victoria police say they're now working with Spanish officials to find him. Y releasing this missing person bulletin in Spanish on Monday.
10: One can imagine the difficulties for for the family of Mr. Graham in navigating uh, systems overseas, a different language.
14: Graham was last spotted by officials of the Canadian Embassy in Madrid on July 15th. There, he paid for a new passport, but never returned to pick it up. He spent time at the city's hospital that same day. He did go to the hospital because he had fallen. It's honestly a total mess. And according to Georgia Graham, Global Affairs Canada hasn't been much help, releasing only limited information and 10 days after the family first asked for it. Telling Global News, in part, it is aware that an individual is missing in Spain, adding consular officials are in contact with local authorities to gather additional information.
10: On the home front, what that looks like for Vic PD is going to Mr. Graham's house, trying to see if there's any information there.
14: The younger Graham is considering flying to Spain herself. But in the meantime, both she and Victoria Police are urging anyone, anywhere who may have seen Scott Graham to get in touch. Sarah McDonald's Global News.
0: A medical doctor from Vernon is being identified as the man who drowned in Thompson River in Kamloops on July 30th while saving his son from the same fate. According to a GoFundMe page now set up for the family, Dr. Michael Muthundazo went into the river to help his son, who was struggling in the current. He managed to help the child, but got swept away himself and never resurfaced. His body still has not been recovered. According to the fundraising page, the doctor moved to Vernon in January of 2021 and was a well-respected family physician. He leaves behind his wife, and two sons aged 11 years and eight months old.
1: Just ahead, a mother and a fighter. There's a lot
3: more work to be done.
1: What's next for Carol Todd as she waits to hear the sentence for the man who tormented her daughter?
0: And a new poll takes the temperature of Canadians. How COVID continues to impact B.C. families later.
1: Slow and steady for traffic here eastbound on Highway 1 near Kensington. A little further east, there is a stalled semi just off to the right shoulder. When renewing your ICBC auto plan insurance online, select your nearest Sussex insurance when prompted for all online broker benefits, peace of mind, and best rates, select Sussex insurance today. I'm Trish listening Global One, high above Highway 1 in
12: Burnaby.
0: It's been just two days since a B.C. jury uttered the words Carol Todd has waited so long to hear. Guilty on all counts. And in many ways, the struggle for justice has defined Todd's life for the past decade.
1: Todd has been a tireless advocate for her daughter Amanda, who took her own life 10 years ago after being sextorted online. She was just 15 years old. As Rumi Nadea reports, Carol Todd is now taking up a new challenge to change Canada's criminal code.
15: Guilty times five. Saturday's stunning verdict still sinking in for Carol Todd.
3: Saturday, of course, the adrenaline rush. Sunday, the replaying of the four persons saying guilty.
15: 44-year-old Dutch citizen Aidan Coben was found guilty for sexually blackmailing Amanda Todd from the tender age of 12. So would you think of the torment and depression overwhelming? The Port Coquitlam teen took her own life in 2012, when she was just 15. Her haunting story viewed online by millions worldwide. Now, I'll never have a now that the verdict is in, we can tell you Coben is currently serving almost 11 years for similar crimes in the Netherlands where he was convicted of child pornography in connection to 34 girls, some victims initially not older than nine or 10. Court documents reveal how children begged the suspect to stop, but the online threats continued. I can totally annihilate your life, read one message. Moments later, I will drive you to kill yourself. I'll go that far. Coben was extradited to Canada in 2020 for Amanda's case. Which may have never made it to trial if it wasn't for the Dutch investigation, Carol says the RCMP tried to get help from the province's child exploitation unit.
3: BCI said no, it would take too much time and manpower they didn't have to pursue this case, so just close the file.
15: With a 150 percent increase in youth being sextorted, according to CyberTip, next step for Carol changing the law. It's extortion needs to come
3: under the criminal code so that um, a person who's deciding to do
15: this right knows that it's against the law. A sentencing date is expected to be set August 11th. After Coben is sentenced in B.C., he'll be returned to the Netherlands, where he can apply to serve any Canadian sentence in his homeland. At this point, it's unclear what Dutch authorities will do. Do you feel like You've received justice. Ask me
3: that when he's being sentenced. Because if I hear six months on each count,
15: that's that's to me that's not really justice. Ramina Dea, Global News.
0: Two people are dead following a police chase involving a stolen vehicle in Abbotsford. It happened Sunday afternoon. Police spotted the stolen vehicle near Livingston Avenue and McClure Road but immediately lost sight of it they found it about an hour later and officers decided to pursue it based on information that it had been involved in a recent violent crime during the chase the driver of the stolen vehicle lost control and crashed a female passenger died at the scene a male driver died in hospital the independent investigations office is now looking into the
1: incident within a few minutes there was a lot of police and uh, there was a car who hit uh, the, uh, the road divider, I put a chair uh, and tried to look over the wall and I will look they were wrapping up our body. Well, police now say impaired driving is suspected in a multi-vehicle crash in Vernon Friday that claimed two lives. It happened around 8.30 in the morning, Highway 97, just south of the cadet camp. RCMP say a red GMC pickup crossed the center line and struck two vehicles, including a black Toyota SUV. The two occupants of the SUV, a 71-year-old woman and a 65-year-old man from Vancouver, were killed. The pickup driver was taken to hospital with undetermined injuries.
0: Just ahead, spyware as a crime-fighting tool. Newly revealed high-tech RCMP investigative techniques and why they're now under scrutiny.
1: Also coming up, the handcuffed suspect who stole a Toronto police vehicle. Good evening and good news over here at the Portman Bridge. As soon as it was here, it was gone. A stall eastbound just past midspan in the Surrey exit lanes. Through a charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Youwison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. Well, we are learning a lot more about how the RCMP employ high-tech spyware in the course of some investigations.
0: A parliamentary committee is taking a closer look after media exposed the controversial tactic and its potential to breach charter privacy laws. Global's Kyle Benning has the details. Tactics
8: by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are being put under the microscope. The federal government's Privacy Committee is looking for answers about spyware the RCMP uses, bringing into question whether Mounties overstepped privacy laws. Canada's Privacy Commissioner laid out how much information can be gathered from on-device intercept tools, or odits. The RCMP confirmed that these tools could collect private communication, such as texts and emails sent or
11: received from the device, documents and media files stored on the device, as well as sounds within range of the device, and and images viewable by the cameras built into the device.
8: The RCMP's use of these tools was first reported on in June, but Mounties have been using odit technology since 2017. Earlier this year, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky stated officers had used odits about 10 times, but data sent to the Parliamentary Committee shows the technology has been used in 32 investigations targeting 49 devices. The investigations were mostly in terrorism, murder and trafficking cases, being used nine times so far this year. Privacy Commissioner says his office was unaware about police officers using audits until those media reports and is meeting with the RCMP later this month. He's aware of Privacy Impact Assessment, or PIA, was done by the RCMP but it wasn't shared with the commissioner's office. We've been
11: informed the PIA was done in 2021, and uh, this is something that we're going to want to see. I don't know if we're going to see this uh, at the end of August, but this is something that uh, we will want to see.
8: Meantime, opposition MPs grilled the public safety minister about potential safeguards which could have been in place before police used audits. Marco Mendicino noted RCMP needed a judge-approved warrant before using these tools. Privacy protections are afforded and complied with in the context of the use of this technology when they apply for judicial authorizations. That's one of the important protections. Well, Minister, uh, is
16: my question was, do you find it acceptable that it's been five years? And this, this, again, based on the fact that the commissioner this morning stated that he only learned of this in June.
8: Kyle Benning, Global News.
1: Toronto police are investigating after a suspect wanted for a break and enter allegedly stole a police SUV with a police dog inside. And the story doesn't end there. Global's Catherine McDonald has more.
17: This is how a comic bookstore break in ended when the suspect, who can be seen here in this exclusive surveillance video from inside Paradise Comics, managed to break free after being arrested and handcuffed, stealing an idling police SUV with two police dogs inside.
7: This is a crazy movie or a, you know, you see the people running through the backyards with the dogs chasing them. And uh, you don't think that's gonna,
17: well, it didn't happen to me, but you don't think it's uh, gonna be tied to me in some way, shape or form. It was just after 4 a.m. when police were called to Paradise Comics for a break-in. The owner of the shop says this suspect threw a rock through the front window and began carrying out rare vintage comic books. When he was inside for the third time, a police officer from the canine unit arrived and tried to chase him down. The bookstore owner says the suspect made off down this alley behind Young Street and went into the backyard of a home here on Brookdale Avenue as he was being pursued by the canine officer and his dog. The canine officer managed to execute an arrest, putting handcuffs on the front of the suspect, who managed to then break away. Police say the accused ran back to the comic book store and stole the police SUV, which had two police dogs in the back, and began driving south on Young Street before turning west on Lawrence. As the suspect approached Keel, he struck a traffic pole and a number of signs before the vehicle broke down in the parking lot of the Metro grocery store at the corner of Keel and Lawrence.
6: He actually
16: exited the police car after the collision approached the number of vehicles trying to get in them.
17: Police say the last vehicle the suspect tried to carjack was this taxi. The assistant manager of City Taxi tells Global News the suspect approached the hood of the cab and broke its windows with his handcuffs. The driver, terrified, refused to leave. That time the responding officer arrived on scene and arrested the male in situ there. Police say the dogs were unharmed and the suspect was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries.
16: Certainly it was an audacious, and, uh, an audacious move on somebody to take a police car and engage engage this kind of activity it's just uh, it's extraordinary
17: back at the comic book store the owner is glad no one was seriously hurt and says he's still missing a box of vintage comic books that he'd like to have back
7: And he actually got away with about one box of comic books
17: about the size of a toaster oven which we're offering a reward for if anyone finds it catherine mcdonald global news
0: a new poll shows canadians are learning to live with covid 19. the survey done by research co found a third of households in the country have been impacted by the virus in just the past few weeks. As Richard Zussman reports, that number is even higher for British Columbians.
6: Learning to live with the virus. Oh, well, I don't want to get sick before I go away to Europe. I've got my
7: mask handy and um, waiting for my next booster.
6: On Monday, a new poll out from Research Co., Showing since COVID-19 restrictions were eased, 37% of Canadians say COVID has been in their household. And for just BC, it's 43%, the highest in the country. A resignation, the virus is impossible to stop, with 65% of British Columbians saying it's a matter of time before they get it. It's
10: almost as if Canadians are now ambivalent about COVID-19. Uh, they know it's going to hit them, uh, but if they are vaccinated, and it's not going to be so bad.
6: say they think restrictions were probably lifted too early. While 44% in this province say they were lifted the right time or too late. There's a sense of dissatisfaction from
10: those who had COVID-19 and maybe a wish that the restrictions and mandates would have stopped the virus from entering their household, but not at a level that would suggest that there would be a revolution. British
6: Columbians the most likely to accept a return to restrictions. 68% say they would be okay with a mask mandate in public indoor places. 63% say they would be okay with capacity limits. And two-thirds of those polled said they would give the thumbs up to the return of the vaccine card.
18: Our approach has been consistently to take only those measures that are required to keep people safe. And I think there continues to be confidence in that. The
6: province is gearing up for a surge of potential cases in the fall. There is confidence, though, vaccination levels will help with protection, especially with a concerted effort to provide boosters six months after previous immunization. A confidence this fall will be better than last, with 73% believing the worst is behind us and 15% seeing the worst ahead.
18: When people are pessimistic um, uh, about the situation, I mean, that's... uh, um, uh, that that reflects the fact that the, the the pandemic is still on and it's still affecting people.
6: 62 percent of British Columbians supportive of the way the province has handled the pandemic. Once again, the highest approval in the country. Richard Zilstein, Global News, Victoria.
1: Coming up, a tribute to Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> The singer and actress remembered for her major talent and that memorable role.
0: Also coming up later, the water slide stunt that went viral. And who's really behind it?
1: All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon is back once again. A return to the heat, Christy, but luckily not quite as hot as the heat we had a couple of weeks ago.
12: Yeah, I think for most people, they've been enjoying that uh, sunshine and warmth, feeling like summer across the region and that uh, sun and ridge of high pressure has helped the forest fire fight and that uh, there's been far less winds. But as we talked about earlier, that's about to change. So I'm going to show you the timeline of things. But first, I wanted to show you some photos with the clear skies that we've been having. Uh, last night, the Aurora Borealis came out across the province. This one from Sheridan Lake, which is in the Caribou region. Donna Marshall sent in a couple of fantastic shots. So thanks so much for sharing those with us. All right. So let's have a look at this. So tomorrow morning, we are expecting a bit of a wind to pick up. Now, it's not going to be a strong wind, still going to see a fairly dense smoke in the region, but it's going to shift the smoke toward the south. That's in the morning. But then in the evening, we're going to see a bit of a shift towards the north. Areas like Kelowna will likely be impacted with some, cl- uh, some smoke. So that's the, uh, the winds that we're expecting for tomorrow. Uh, also a huge drop, jump in the forest fire danger rating. So across southern BC, significant extreme, uh, Uh, values you can see highlighted in red and that includes now the southeastern corner of Vancouver Island so heads up on that so this is that upper level trough shifting in tomorrow far less of an impact we are going to see more cloud covers slightly cooler temperatures and just a slight chance of a passing shower but that's when the winds will pick up but again as we talked about earlier it's Wednesday that's when we're going to see thunderstorms late in the day late afternoon towards the evening hours and it includes the south coast region so tomorrow we'll see a little bit of Cloud cover passing throughout the day. Wednesday's when we're going to see a greater impact. But it looks like we're back to sunshine on Thursday and Friday for all you sun lovers out there. Tonight's central windows, weather window coming to you from Prince George, where they were also able to see the beautiful northern lights or aurora borealis. Thanks to Chris Foot for that. All right, guys, back to you. Wow, great photo. Thanks,
1: Christy. Prince
0: George's most famous son joins us now, filling in for... Squire Barnes in sports. Chris,
4: Did remember you when I was in me? Prince George? You got me the socks. What was your request? I wanted the socks. Mayor Lynn Hall sending a pair of Mr. PG socks for one Chris Galis. Thank I'll br- you, I'll bring Mayor. them over. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for the delivery, double J. What do think of you, buddy? Hey, uh, yeah, Crankworks has taken over Whistler, the world's best mountain bikers doing their thing, and that includes Whistler's very own Finn Isles, who just won a World Cup race in Quebec on the weekend.
7: felt like I've done this my whole life. Basically, all the races I've done in my career have sort of led up
4: to a moment like this where all the pressure's on me. Finn was golden handling the pressure of winning on home soil. We'll see if he can keep it up when he races at Crankworks in his hometown this week. Wow, what a run. Also tonight, the unforgettable life
0: and career of Olivia Newton-John.
1: Well, had I known there are Mr. PG socks, Jay, I would have put in my own request...
4: I'll wear these proudly. I'm sorry, Soph. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Next year. (laughs) But you know what?
4: The mayor's a big fan, and everyone at Prince George is probably watching right now, and they're thinking of you. So who knows, Soph? Maybe something will come in the mail.
1: (laughs) I will wear them proudly.
4: As we all do. Thanks, Soph. Hey, uh, Raina's wreaked havoc on the opening day of both the men's and women's National Bank Tennis Opens. The men are in Montreal. Women playing in Toronto. Layla Annie Fernandez is on the court right now in her first-round match. She hasn't played since uh, last May. The May of this year, pardon me. She suffered a stress fracture. She's up in the opening set. Dennis Shapovalov's match has been delayed. It was delayed four hours. They're in a rain delay right now. He dropped the opening set. The second set went to a tie break. Tied 3-3 when the skies opened up. Don't look like they're going to get that match uh, going again for the rest of the evening. Serena over Williams, was on yeah, court.
15: Inspirational. You
4: we weren't sure Canadian we were going to see country her here in Canada exactly after Wimbledon, like but she China loves China playing is. in Toronto and she loves playing in front of Canadian fans. She was taking on Norea. Diaz and she was pushed in the second set she faced multiple break points but this point right here set her up for victory the rest of the way they went 19 shots deep in this rally watch Serena battle tell you she was pushed hard by Diaz but Williams is gonna hit the forehand winner Mm. oh yeah the crowd was behind her. She took the opening set 6-3, would go on to win the second set 6-4. So it's a straight set victory for Serena Williams. She loved being out there on centre court. Simona Halep was also a winner today, as was Sloane Stevens. And as mentioned, Layla Annie Fernandez on court right now. Hopefully they'll get her match done. But Serena Williams, a winner in her opening round match today in Toronto. Well, on the weekend, Whistler's Finn Eyes became just the second-ever Canadian to win a World Cup mountain bike race on home soil. Finn, one of the best riders in the world, and he's back home gearing up for a big week as Whistler is hosting Crankworks. His World Cup victory was a long time coming, and we say long time because Finn grew up riding the trails in Whistler and has always been considered one of the best mountain bikers anywhere.
18: The wilds delivering what this crowd wanted. here! Oh, Unbelievable! Finn Isles has faced his fair share of bumps in the road in his mountain biking career. But after second-place finishes in France and Switzerland earlier this year, the 22-year-old finally got over the hump and did something that's only been done once before.
1: And he's rolling to the line!
18: Ah! to win! Look at the time! Not only did Isles become the first Canadian male to win at home since Vancouver Island mountain biking legend Steve Smith finished first in Mont St. Anne in 2013. Isles did it despite breaking his chain during the race. now is his chain done? He's up by a second! Is his chain off? We don't need any more drama here this afternoon!
7: When my chain guide broke and my chain fell off, I was a little bit shocked for a second but i knew that if i just stayed focused and um just continued with my run and stayed smooth to the bottom that i still had a good shot to win so as i was coming down to the line i was looking up the clock and i could see the like the time taking up like 408 409 410 and as i crossed the line i wasn't sure because i didn't see i didn't see it go green i didn't see my name at the top of the board so as i turned around the crowd went crazy and um to be able to get that win, the feeling was just sensational.
18: The feeling of finishing first at an elite World Cup event might be new, but the thrill of riding is something he's had for a long time.
7: When I was like 14 or 15, I was riding the bike park with my friends in Whistler and I sort of realized that, that biking was my favorite thing to do in the whole world and that this is what I wanted to do. And to be able to make a career out of it and, you know, reach the highest level is uh, is a pretty incredible feeling. And I'm just, you know, lucky, lucky to be doing what I'm doing.
18: Isles is looking forward to putting on a show this weekend for his family and friends at Crankworx Whistler. Only problem is a key part of his team hasn't arrived from Quebec yet.
7: My bike hasn't arrived yet. Fingers crossed that it does. And, um, you know, I'd love to compete as much as I can this week because I'm at home in front of friends and our friends and family. And there's a lot of fans out here in Whistler. But... You know, If I can only do one event, um, I'm just happy to
4: be home and happy to be back. You, All right, let's get that bike back Camden here. Camden we want to see Yards him cranking it up at Crankworks. Season, do you want to feel old? Camden Yards in Baltimore 20-20 celebrating 20-20 its 30th 20-20. anniversary. It just seems like they built the ballpark the other day. Blue Jays were getting pummeled in this one. Ramon Urias, three-run job in the first inning. Bo Bichette responded in the third, but Baltimore back-to-back Jackson, in the bottom of the third. They are in the eighth inning, and Baltimore leads 6-2. Paredes va,
1: el centro frontal de Paredes para Messi, pecho y gol! Gol! Que digo gol? Golazo de Messi! Pecho y gol de Chilena Messi! Sensacional la definición!
4: Yeah, it was sensational and you know I'm going to show you every single replay of this Lionel Messi goal for Paris Saint Germain on the weekend. Just incredible. He scored so many beautiful goals in his career, but this, my goodness, even his opposition, they were, they are playing on the road, they were chanting Messi's name after he scored that goal, and rightfully so. And last but not least, this is Frenzy Water Park in France. This guy calls himself Le Mascotte. The stunt was billed as dad handling divorce well. It was put on by Red Bull. It happened on the weekend in France this is quite the water slide (laughs) and then some wet and wild
1: times in france courtesy
4: of la mascotte and red bull
0: as usual (laughs) awesome thanks very much there you go
1: up next remembering olivia newton john and the songs we can all sing along with Grammy award-winning superstar and the actress who won countless hearts as Sandy in the blockbuster Grease. Olivia Newton-John has died.
0: After her breast cancer diagnosis 30 years ago, she added advocate to her list of accomplishments. And more recently, Dame Olivia, honored for her music and charity work. Eric Sorensen takes a look back at her amazing legacy.
16: Her soft voice and wholesome looks almost overnight brought Olivia Newton John stardom in the 1970s, a soothing sound from a seemingly innocent source in an era buffeted by hard rock and disco music. Newton John was born in England and emigrated to Australia as a child. She had early success in music competitions, and soon the number one songs came one after another. she shot to global fame when she was cast in the film musical, Greece. Playing Sandy opposite John Travolta, she transforms from the girl next door to something else altogether. Physical, physical. In fact, her musical style soon became less innocent, much more daring, too, with Physical, one of the biggest hits in the entire pop era major setback came in 1992, the year she turned 44 diagnosed with breast cancer
12: i'm not afraid of anything right now
16: newton john had been a long time advocate for the environment and animal rights but now poured much of her energy into her own cancer foundation
1: i've chosen that path to be grateful and to feel good about things because the other side's not so good
16: she spoke to et canada about her emphasis on plant-based treatments for cancer
1: i've lost way too many friends to cancer and you know i'm on that journey myself so i'm really Powerfully driven to find kinder answers for treatments for cancer.
16: She remained active and popular. Fans still enjoyed her music and always remembered Sandy from Greece.
1: Forty years later, who would have thunk it? We feel very grateful that this is still a part of everyone's. They love it.
16: Her cancer returned for the third time five years ago. A singer best remembered as a young, fresh-faced star in the making, suddenly gone. At age
0: 73.
18: Oh, so many good her. memories. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that, that movie was, was quite something mm-hmm. back, in the, back in the day.
1: And still is. I feel like we should watch it tonight.
0: The, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, nice to be back after two weeks mostly in flip-flops. I am very pleased and honored <laughs> now oh, to be wearing yeah. the City of Prince George socks. That Wait, is Jay Mr. brought back to me. Oh, there he is. There he is there on the side. And he's on the top too, but my feet don't bend that way. There you go. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mayor Hall, <laughs> and to Jay Janauer for bringing those back for me. What a great competition, and to see all those kids have so much fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And Christy, uh, Chris did not bring the Palm Springs weather with him, fortunately, but still good weather in the forecast.
12: Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, a bit of a change for the next couple of days, but it's not going to last forever. We're back to some sunshine on Thursday. Back to you guys.
0: All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night.
12: Good night, all.
15: For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hicks, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season 6 of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.